This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week. First up, Richard Oli, the national baseball writer for The Athletic. She is followed by Chad Finn, the sports media writer and columnist for the Boston Globe. Britt uh, and I get very deep into Ken Rosenthal not being retained by MLB Network and uh, just an incredibly short-sighted decision by uh, by MLB. Britt has worked uh, in baseball for a long time, worked for MLB.com, in fact, and now obviously works very closely with Ken Rosenthal. She did know about this before the news uh, came out, and her insight on Ken and on MLB and on MLB Network is really, really interesting. Uh, she is one of the great baseball voices and writers, I think, in the country, and uh, and really appreciate her coming on to talk about Ken Rosenthal. Chad Finn is following her. We discuss whether Urban Meyer will be hired again by a broadcasting outlet. I think you'll enjoy that conversation, Chad and I, going a little back and forth on that. We get into Week 18, schedule in the NFL, and what that means for, uh, what that will mean for viewership and um, and just sort of some interesting things that the NFL obviously has done to try to boost their viewership up with that extra game. Chad gets into what he thought about Ken Rosenthal, wrote a column on that, and I thought uh, his thoughts were really interesting. And we finish up with the Beijing Olympics. Both of us think that it is going to be the lowest-rated Olympics in history. So Britt Giroli to start, Chad Finn to finish, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Britt Giroli is my colleague. She's a national baseball writer for The Athletic, you know, one of the signature voices on Major League Baseball nationally. She spent 10 years with MLB.com, including eight covering the Baltimore Orioles. It makes her really a great guest for this topic. I mean, she's been on this podcast before. She's always an excellent guest, but really in particular for this topic, um, I'm not sure I could find anybody better to talk about. And that topic, again, is Ken Rosenthal. As I said at the beginning of this uh, podcast, he was um, he was not retained by the MLB Network, first uh, reported by the New York Post and then confirmed by Ken. And Britt, first, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast once again. Thanks for uh, thanks for giving me some of your time. And here's where I'd like to start. What was you, I don't know if if you had known this before, if Ken had confided in you, but I, I want to just sort of get your initial reaction to this and. And you can go anywhere you want with it. What, what, when you learned of it, whenever you learned of it, what, what came to mind? So I did know about this previously, but for some reason, seeing that story in the New York Post and seeing it all laid out there just made me really angry because I think when you look at our industry, 
there's no one as well-liked and universally well-respected as Ken Rosenthal. And I think when you look at the timing of it, I mean, this is terrible timing for MLB and the league. I heard from multiple players last night that one couldn't believe it. And two couldn't believe that Rob Manfred and MLB would do this at a time where they're in a lockout. There's really no news going on. So this is going to be a bigger story because there is nothing else feeding the beast right now. And also it makes Manfred look so bad and so poorly reflects so badly on the leadership of that sport that I think fans who were kind of on the fence, unsure which side to kind of believe in all this have just one more reason to say, you know what? I can't support this guy. I'm all in and all in favor of the players here. So from your perspective, why does this happen? I mean, Ken, Ken Ken's coverage, again, I'm not an innocent uh, uh, bystander here. I mean, I work with Ken. Uh, I have great, immense respect for him. I'm intentionally not writing about this because I, I just, I feel I'd be a hypocrite to the audience because the, the guy is my colleague. But, you know, my, my, sort of general thought on something like this, Brit, uh, given that I've written it sort of in other places is, you know, <laughs> when, when, a when a league sort of cannot accept, uh, criticism that's warranted. And I don't even think Ken is nearly like an over the top person when it comes to this stuff. It's usually, not usually it's always based on some kind of factual, uh, reported basis. And so, I'm with you. It's just the guy had been your employee for that many years. He's really the the paragon of integrity. And when he is writing about, you know, whether it's work stoppages or things that are related to the commissioner's office, I just feel like there has to be a level of understanding in the commissioner's office. Like th- this is sort of part of why you even hired him because you're hiring him for his integrity. So what what happened? Like, do you have a sense as to what 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 triggered this? Or maybe it's been building up for a long time and. You know, contract comes up and it's an easy cut. Well, certainly I think last year when they were sort of kind of trying to work out what happened with the shortened season, Ken was brutally honest. Both parties were to blame. He wrote a column specifically about Manfred and his legacy and how this was going to negatively impact that. And then, of course, some of the larger stories that The Athletic has done that Ken has played a huge role in. Trevor Bauer. Mickey Callaway. He yep. wrote about the Rockies' demise and owner Dick Monfort, which I'm sure did not go over well at all. The Astro Diego, scandal. The Astro scandal. Um, you know, the, the sticky baseball scandal that Ken and I uh, tag team on. I mean, yep. this is a guy who doesn't care if it gets uncomfortable. He's going to write the truth and he's going to be fair. And I think that's what MLB Network initially liked about him is he gave them that credibility. But I think what you've seen now under this new regime and there's a new regime at the network and there's obviously uh, a new commissioner than there was 13 years ago when Ken first came on. Uh, You're seeing that shift in, you know what? Not on our airwaves, not on our time, not on our dime. We want someone who's going to avoid those discussions. We want someone who's not going to question these things. And that's unfortunate for everyone involved but most of all, Richard, it's unfortunate for baseball fans. Well said. All right. So I'm glad you, you sort of you lead us into a lot of things here. Um, you worked for MLB.com for 10 years, a uh, very prominent figure on the Orioles beat. 
you know, I know I'm asking you to sort of summarize 10 years here, but can you give my listeners a perspective of, did you have any restrictions on what you could report? Did you feel like you were sort of navigating this sort of odd line that you're being paid by baseball at the same time you're reporting on baseball? What was it like for you when you were there? So when I first got into it, I really didn't feel any kind of shackles. On a granular level, you're writing about the games and the players, and there's very little you can do unless you're inaccurate or you anger the team that's going to kind of get high enough to really bother the commissioner's office or you know anyone in MLB. But what we've seen happen over the last couple of years is we've seen MLB become more of a conglomerate. When I first started at MLB.com, it was almost a separate entity altogether. They were in separate offices in Chelsea than MLB, which was on Park Avenue. So it really felt like at times you were just the stepchild of MLB. And the network was also separate. I remember when I first started going on MLB Network as an Orioles insider, MLB.com wasn't super thrilled about it. You know, they did not really coexist. And now what you're seeing is MLB take control of MLB.com. They're in the same building now in Park Avenue. The holiday party is now the same. It is very fused. You're on all the emails with them. MLB Network has also become folded into the mix. Minor League Baseball most recently folded into the mix. They really want that power in the central office to be one baseball. And so that's where kind of at the tail end of my time there, you started to notice this seismic shift in things and more worried bosses, more worried editors about the commissioner's office, about what people were reading, about how we were titling things, what we were covering um, than ever before. And I think it's never been more apparent than the lockout because you saw MLB scrub everything off their website. You saw the photos gone. And I have great respect for a lot of people still at MLB.com. They just want to be regular reporters. But to some extent, you trade a little part of your journalistic integrity for the cushiness of a league job, for the free health care, for the pension, uh, for the fact that it is a very stable job in an unstable industry. So I think what you're seeing now is more and more them just kind of owning that. They are controlling MLB Network. They are controlling MLB.com. And there's no really even sense to them and trying to pretend otherwise. Thank you for that reflection. You know, one of the things, Britt, when I first started writing about MLB Network, and, and admittedly, I haven't really written much about them in the last uh, couple of years. You know, that when they do something sort of interesting, I certainly mention it. But, um, you know, when they when they sort of initially started, one of the things that I thought was really, really cool was that they hired like respected baseball writers. You know, Tom Verducci was my longtime colleague at Sports Illustrated. Joel Sherman has always had a great reputation at the the New York Post. And, you know, when especially when it came to the New York teams, particularly the Yankees, was, you know, very, very honest with readers. So there was, you know, Ken Rosenthal, obviously. There was this sort of, you know, Tony Petiti, who ran that network back then, like, was a former CBS guy and made it like a public point that they were going to be um, different than what you would expect from a league-owned network. They were going to be critical. They were going to be journalistically sound. They were not going to be a house organ. And I think many times that that was the case when I would turn them down. doesn't mean that they didn't have sort of fanboys on there, but 
you know, for the on the journalistic end, you know, Costas was on there all the time. Like, I was really impressed by MLB Network. You obviously are going to watch this now far more than I do in the last year or two. In your opinion, has that has the product on air significantly changed? Is it? You know, you're always going to talk about players. That's the easy thing, right? As you know, ESPN does this. You can always talk about transactions. Very easy. But is there any kind of critical coverage of the larger issues of baseball that would involve the commissioner's office? No. And I think any shred of that left with Ken Rosenthal. So Mm -hmm. now you kind of have this situation where you're right. If you want to watch it for highlights, if you want to watch player interviews, but you're not getting any kind of deep analysis. And in fact, you're getting avoidance of oftentimes the the tougher topics. Um, You know, I watch MLB Network and I don't think I ever heard them delve into the Mickey Calloway situation in great detail. I don't think the Trevor Bauer situation has been something they've really um, wanted to touch. And, you know, these are and have been huge stories. Yeah. Uh, the Rocky story that I mentioned that Ken did uh, with Dick Monfort, of course, that was probably not something that was really discussed as well. And obviously the Astros cheating scandal took on such a life of its own. As soon as Rob Manfred announced the punishment, There was going to be some fallout there, but I think you're right. What you're getting now um, is a watered down version of what it was and losing a guy as well-respected as Ken. And my main issue, Richard, was that statement they gave the New York Post kind of citing diversity. I'm all for diversity. We need diversity. MLB Network needs new, fresh voices. But to get rid of Ken Rosenthal and then claim it is because you want a more diverse background is just really telling all of us that they think we're idiots, that anyone is going to buy that at all. Because Ken Rosenthal is hands down the best, most thoughtful reporter in baseball. And he's the one who really has taught me over the past two years here at The Athletic, if you're going to go hard at someone, you better call them on the phone. You better give them a chance to answer. He has taught me that you have to kind of be comfortable getting uncomfortable if you're going to write these stories. So he owns these things more than anyone else. It's very easy, I think, on a lot of these shows that we watch, you know, the Stephen A. Smiths to sit there and, you know, lob grenades. Well, Ken Rosenthal, everything he says, he backs up. He calls the person. He walks into the clubhouse. He goes into the dugout. He confronts them. He owns that. And I think that's what gets him that extra level of respect. And that's why this is so upsetting to so many people that he's no longer going to be on the network. You know, my hope is that nothing changes with Ken and Fox. Now, he's a very different role for Fox in that it's an in-game assignment. You know, he'll he'll essentially be um, attached to one team in very high-level games and... You know, you get some insights from Ken on what those teams are doing. The he, he will provide insider information, but Fox is never going to like you know they're never going to go very deep into the reporting that you guys did on Mickey Calloway or re- really any of baseball's uh, significant ills. My hope, Britt, and again, I certainly will look into this. But my hope is that you know Fox holds the line here, and if Major League Baseball doesn't want Ken anywhere on its partner airwaves. That they say, hey, you know, like we make these decisions, not you guys, and we're gonna, we're gonna keep them on. Uh, yeah, you know, I did read his tweets, and it sounded like, at least for now, he's still he's going there. to remain yeah, at Fox. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is why, and I tweeted something, something to this effect last night. So many national reporters do not 
tackle the tough things. Do not tackle the tough topics because it can put a career in jeopardy. It can ruin your standing. It can ruin sources. Ken has never been afraid of that. He has always kind of had his integrity as the number one thing. And if he loses you or loses someone, so be it. He's going to go after the truth. And I think that's what sets him apart in this day and age uh, across the, you know, not just in baseball, across sports media in general. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Bert, let me ask you a couple of things that uh, you've been working on um, that may be of interest to my listeners. What is the latest right now with the Trevor Bauer investigations? So that remains pending um, criminal investigation charges. The issue there, I was told, um, a lot of it has to do with what's going on right now in L.A., uh, with George Gascon, the potential recall that they're trying to mount for, I believe, a second time. Um, I haven't really stayed super in tune on the politics going on there. But that is the reason why this has taken so long, Richard. This is a really long time frame. Either they have the ability and the evidence to charge him or they don't. And I think right now it's just permanently on hiatus because it's a high profile case. And either way, it's going to be under a lot of scrutiny. And the important thing here is that's an important domino that has to fall because MLB which has continued their investigations during this lockout, cannot compel Trevor Bauer to talk to them while this active criminal case still exists. And it seems very unlikely that Bauer and his camp would agree for him to interview and comply with MLB while this is going on. So the longer this takes, the more it pushes out MLB and any potential MLB punishment. So we're kind of left in limbo right now and there's just not a whole lot of movement. And again, there probably should already have been some kind of decision made. So it's very unfortunate. But do you um, do you have any sense that if Trevor Bauer is not charged criminally, like what what that would mean for Major League Baseball, like discipline? What like do they? I obviously it seems like the commissioner's office has the uh, ability to sort of really do anything it wants, but. Like, is that a possibility if somehow, let's say, he isn't charged criminally? Can the commissioner's office do something? I don't know. It's like such a, I don't even know what the word is, like just awful situation. Uh, forgetting the fact that I don't even know if Bauer, if teams are going to want Bauer, but does the, can the commissioner's office, I guess, supersede whatever happens within the legal system is maybe my question. Yes. And it's a good question. It's one I've been asked a lot. It does not matter whether Bauer is criminally charged or not. MLB, under the joint agreement with the Players Association, um, has a domestic violence policy that gives Commissioner Rob Manfred unilateral power to impose whatever punishment he feels is necessary. Mm. Now, basically, they don't have to meet this higher threshold of the law like a potential criminal case would. So if Bauer gets this punishment and decides that he is going to appeal it, which has not happened, but many people think he may. Um, this would go to 
a arbitrator panel, which has one member from the Players Association, one member from the commissioner's office, and one member uh, that is selected by both parties. So it's essentially a neutral board assessing whether Manfred's punishment was applicable given all the evidence from the investigation. So MLB can kind of do what they want here, and they have done so in the past. You look at Marcelo Zuno with the Braves, uh, who really didn't have any punishment by the law. I think he entered a some kind of immersion type of program, uh, but was still suspended. Um, Astros pitcher Roberto Asuna a few years back, um, his wife, I believe at the time, did not come to Toronto to testify. He still received a pretty lengthy suspension. So MLB um, has that unilateral power, regardless of what happens in the legal system with Trevor Bauer. Last one on this. I mean, again, you cover this every day. I don't. Um... Do you, if, if you had to guess, I understand Trevor Bauer's uh, talent and uh, so often like sort of uh, professional sports organizations will will give talent the benefit of the doubt or take a chance on talent even with, um, you know, even with some serious uh, quote unquote character issues. If you had to guess, are there teams out there that would sign Trevor Bauer or do you think he at this point um, is just... Uh, not worth the, I don't know, the public relations backlash, the optics, whatever word you want to use. I, generally, in these situations, I tend to side that there's always a team that's going to sign a sign someone that they think can help them. But but you cover this. What do you think? Yeah, history has kind of shown us that there's always a team that is willing to do this. I think a lot of things factor in here. How long is his punishment? If he's punished. If he is suspended, how long is his suspension? Uh, because you look at his age and, you know, you start to factor in, okay, is he is he worth us taking a chance um, a year down the road, two years down the road, several years down the road? Uh, does he get suspended for only part of a season? That certainly changes things as well. So, um, unfortunately, the way the system works in baseball and in a lot of pro sports these problem, quote unquote, problem players or guys who have had investigations by leagues become undervalued assets. Teams look at them as somebody they can get for a bargain. And this happens again in the NFL and the NHL. Um, and so then it becomes almost impossible for some of these front offices who are obsessed with efficiency and obsessed with finding these undervalued assets to yeah. not at least try. Um, and that's part of the issue that's going on today in baseball as well, is there's nothing to de-incentivize teams from taking on these players because, again, they can get them at a, quote, cheaper price than they would have been worth otherwise. It's well said. Here's the last one. I know you get this all the time whenever you're doing any kind of appearances, but like I, I always tend to believe that when so much money is at stake, ultimately both sides will figure out a way to not miss games. Exhibition season is one thing, spring training is another. But if you ask me today, and obviously I'm not someone who has reported on labor at all in baseball, my guess is that the season will start on time. Where do you stand right now as we talk in the first week of January? I, I agree with you. I think both sides know coming off of the shortened season in 2020 with COVID that they just cannot afford another stoppage, even a short stoppage. I think what yeah. might happen because spring training is so long is they may end up having a trunicated spring training by a week or two. But again, I would be very hard pressed to believe that both of these parties, as much as they want to dig in their heels and get what they want, 
can't also realize at the end of the day that not having baseball, not having opening day on time is just going to vastly hurt this sport. And if you don't think that's true, talk to people who lived through the last strike. They lost so many fans and many of them just never came back. Britt, uh, you're really always good to come on this podcast. You're super thoughtful and uh, totally wired into the game. Um, again, for uh, those of you who don't know, Britt Giroli is a national baseball writer for The Athletic. You follow her on Twitter. Um, she's had uh, you, you may either hear or see her on uh, various uh, mediums because um, she's uh, not surprisingly a, a guest that's in demand. Britt, thanks for jumping on today, taking the time. I know you're very tight with Ken. And I know he means a lot to you professionally. And um, I, I can't think of anybody, maybe other than Ken himself, uh, who would be such a good uh, and thoughtful voice on him. So thanks so much today for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Chad Finn, I mean... Chad, do I even need to introduce you anymore? You're such a regular on this podcast, sports media writer and columnist for the Boston Globe. Um, always glad to talk to Chad, who covers and is interested in the same terrain as I am, with the addition of, uh, I'm not following the Red Sox day-to-day, Chad, nor are you following the Blue Jays. You're not following the Blue Jays day-to-day, so there's our difference. But welcome back to... Uh, the Sports Media Podcast. We're going to get to a lot of topics today. I mean, do you want me to have like uh, buzzers and gadgets and uh, say like topic one? If you, I mean, or just, can I just roll? Do you, do you, I can. Way overdue for props and stuff. It is. Really, yeah, I love Patrick, but like we really need more <laughs> props and stuff on this, uh, on this show. All right. So, Chad, let's start here. Urban Meyer, of course, fired by the Jaguars. <laughs> Probably long overdue. Within that framework, of course, course some uh, reporting Rick Stroud in particular of the a former Jaguars kicker, Josh Lambeau, saying that uh, the Urban made contact with him or kicked him during a practice. Um, there's, um, you know, there's sort of been a steady drum that has come out from some people sort of saying, once again, that uh, Urban Meyer is who he is. Here's my question for you. I wrote about him when he was at ESPN, and I said this when he was at ESPN. He was always working for Urban Meyer and not for the viewer. That, that didn't mean that he didn't know his ex and his O's. Of course he knew his ex and his O's. He was a great college football coach. But it always he, – he, his departure from ESPN, if you remember, Chad, you were coming this back then, he, he was not honest with, with the audience. Uh, right. And so, so that's one. Two, went to Fox, obviously got great reviews for his work on, um, on their uh, big noon kickoff show, and then eventually obviously left that show – for the Jaguars. I here's sort of so here's sort of my take on this. I always subscribe to the notion that networks will rehire you short of OJ Simpson. It, it just like I I there's not a they don't have a like a morality compass for the most part unless it affects their bottom line or unless they get blowback from an audience about a hire. 
So Meyer, to me, is in that weird place. And I'll be the first to admit this. I don't know what the blowback would be. Because I think initially I would have thought he'll, you know, Fox will bring him back and whatever. The, the same people who hate Urban Meyer will hate him. But I don't know. I don't know if he's past that point where he is not worth the headache of bringing him back versus whatever viewership they think they can get from him. Where do you, where do you stand on this? Well, you you know you mentioned OJ as the uh, <laughs> the line of demarcation. I think that got moved this year. I think it's Gruden now. Uh, <laughs> obviously, the uh, the uh, transgressions or crimes aren't the same, quite the same thing. Right. But um, I, I I had a colleague who said they thought Gruden was going to end up uh, back on TV somewhere. I, I think that's absurd. I, I, I agree. With you. No way, especially because. We don't know the the contents of all the emails yet. There's always a possibility that more could come out. Not just that the I don't think I think there's no way a league partner with the NFL the the NFL would say he's not come he's we will not allow him to do our games. Like I, there's no way there's no way an ESPN or an NBC would actually really go to the wall and tr- you know burn their relationship down for John Gruden. So it's I'm with you. It's not going to happen. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think the NFL would ever do such a thing with anybody uh, on the field or in the broadcast booth. Right. Um, so th- that that's the he's he's the line now. Um, but uh, admire, I think, comes back easily. He may need a little bit more of a uh, I don't know cooling off period or, or or time away for for people to forget that he you know kicked the kicker in Jacksonville and did all these other uh, ridiculous, stupid, arrogant things down there. Um, but he's good on TV. The show was successful when he was on it. He's one of the top five coaching names of his generation and, and probably still, even though he wasn't in college football last couple of years, one of the most prominent figures in college football uh, remains that way. And frankly, college football, they really don't care what happens in the NFL. They're about their sport. And I think I think Fox would um, look at it the same way if they brought him back to the show. And I, I, I think it's inevitable that he ends up back in television. Coaching's a little bit different. Um, I don't know if he would get a coaching job down the road, especially a high-profile one. But I think TV is uh, definitely going to be a way for him to clean up his uh, image a little bit. It's interesting. All right. So you're, 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 you're for more, you're more definitive on this than me. So, so you, so, I mean, let's just sort of the bear, the, the, the bones of this. So, so then what, what you're saying is lying is, 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 is not a factor in ultimately hiring an analyst at Fox will live with whatever fallout exists from having someone on the air that has had proven falsehoods. Yeah. What do you think the most damning thing he did in Jacksonville was that would give them the most pause? I think it's probably, I think it's probably the Josh Lambeau thing. I I don't think it's not going back with his team and, you know, I mean, ultimately like, I'm not sure how much networks care about when, the private li- private lot no i'm saying like yeah. the private lives of their personalities sort uh-huh. of jump out like and I, nor do i think they should I, I don't know if network should not be in the the business of making judgments about someone's marriage someone's potential again putting that in quotes potential infidelity but i do think there is i don't know if i'm a fox network exec and i read what lambo is saying 
it does give me a little bit of pause, but you wonder if there's more, right? Yeah, but you're not wrong, Chad. I mean, at the end of the day, like the the easy thing for the networks to say is, well, this didn't happen on our watch. He just none of this happened when he was a broadcaster. We're bringing him in for his college football expertise, and no one's going to argue with his college football record. Um, I think he was totally exposed as a as a sort of a coaching fraud in the NFL, and that you know once you don't have the hammer over the 18 to 22, 22 year old kid and you're dealing with real professionals, you know, real men, 29, 30, like who are paid, who have agents, who have their own um, platforms, it's a different ball game. But yeah, I, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're convincing me here. Um, I still, I don't know, maybe I'm a little too naive to the, the downside on this, but maybe the news cycle so fast. What, I mean, what the downside will be a week, you know? Right. And they already know he's good on TV. And uh, what is it they say about, Publicity in general, you know, not all of the bad publicity is pretty good. How does that go? Whatever it is. So no public. Yeah. (laughs) Knowing Fox, I mean, no publicity is bad, is, is, uh, is bad. I I would just say as a viewer, forget about the fact that, you know, again, having written about Urban Meyer, I have my opinions on it, but I could not trust him as a viewer. So do do you think that's a factor at all? Just like if you're a non-Ohio state, let's say Homer, like, can you believe what the guy's saying? I wouldn't have trusted him before. If I were a Michigan yeah. fan or, or Michigan State or uh, Florida State, you know, some team that he uh, was yeah. a rival with along the way, he, he's, I mean, you can't go into it naive and look at this guy and think, uh, or any real, really anybody in that role, a college coach who probably has one eye on his next job, next job as he's sitting there in the right. studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, you, so much of recruiting is lying anyway. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think a lot of college football viewers are, are are innocent about you know what what goes on in the sport on a bunch of different levels. What recruiting yeah. is, um, until recently, the uh, hypocritical critical aspect of a coach being able to just up and leave for you know ten figure contract elsewhere <laughs> while the players are left behind. That you you know you mentioned Meyer going back to coaching just for a minute there. Uh, I think he's in for a rude awakening if that happens in college football. I don't think it will. I don't think he'll go back to it. But this isn't what he left, you know, with, uh, you know, NILs and the transfer portal and, and Correct. Uh, I agree. players actually having some clout. Like you said, he wielded scholarships over 18-year-olds' heads. Yep. He had their lives in the palm of his hand, and that has changed. This is closer to the NFL than it's ever been in terms of yep. – uh, the empowerment of the players. And yeah. uh, I almost would like to see it happen just to watch him fall on his face. I, by the way, there is nothing I love more in college football than the transfer portal. I, I love it. I cannot be a bigger fan of it. It totally, um, it totally has upended the system. It gives the players so much power and there's nothing funnier to me. Honestly, it's actually, you know, a college football fans are passionate and God bless them. I respect them. And obviously the, the people who cover the sport are, I, I, just, I just find it sort of fun sometimes to even like, just be sarcastic about it. Like there's nothing funny. There's nothing funnier to me, Chad, than a serious college football analyst <laughs> saying that the transfer system is going to ruin the sport. Like, have you been alive for 30 years about college football and everything that's going on with it? It's so great to watch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl, he used to be a scout for the Patriots, uh, long NFL history, really good Twitter presence, um, mentioned uh, recently that college coaches, uh, I don't know if it was plural, but he mentioned that somebody, uh, it might have been plural, uh, said to him that it's actually been beneficial to their teams because you don't have guys who are there for four years that are pissed off because they're not playing. They leave and get an opportunity and um, 
in some cases, the culture around the team has gotten better because everybody who's there wants to be there. Now, that sounds a little bit like spin from a coach who uh, is trying to adjust to uh, guys leaving his program that he had his, you know, under his thumb for five years, four or five years. But I think there's also some truth to that, that uh, um, you got players uh, not only are able to have freedom to move around, but that they're able to extract themselves from situations they're not happy with. And in terms of a culture of the team, that's probably better for the team. All right, let's move to uh, topic, the next topic. Um, Let's move to um, Ken Rosenthal. You, I, th- you, I think you told me you're writing a column. Probably by, by the time anyone listens to this, Chad's column about this in the Boston Globe will be up. But what what was your reaction to the to the Ken Rosenthal news first broken by the New York Post and then confirmed by Ken? Like Manfred just can't do the right thing, um, you know. Ever it, it, he's he's so thin skinned and so petty um, that he he pulls these power plays that backfire on the, uh, when it comes to public perception, I don't know if it actually damages MLB uh, when, when stuff like this happens or a popular figure, respective figure like Rosenthal loses a fairly prominent job and, and uh, you know, you can trace it back to, to the, the pettiness of uh, Manfred being pissed off that uh, Rosenthal criticized him in 2020 in a, a couple of columns, one of them, which is pretty scathing actually. Um, but uh, it, my, my reaction was not, uh, you know, feeling bad for Ken because he's still got a couple of great gigs and uh, you know, he's probably going to get the Career Excellence Award in the Hall of Fame Sunday and, and still has a great career. It was uh, just my awe at MLB's ability to be petty about the smallest thing since Manfred became commissioner in 2014. Well said. Richard Early was on this podcast, Chad, before you, and we talked, you know, she worked for MLB.com for 10 years, including the Orioles for covering the Orioles. She's now obviously a national baseball writer for The Athletic. One of the things we talked about was just major MLB network. And Chad, you and I have covered that. You and I covered this when they were starting. There was this, when Tony Petiti was there, there there was this public push that they were going to be different they 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 were and and they hired they made great hires like they were hiring people like ken rosenthal and tom verducci and and joel sherman and maybe they hired gammons back then like they they were they were not going one of their goals was not to come off like a league owned pr apparatus and that they were going to cover the sport with a critical eye when it need to be covered critically and i do you think they had many great moments doing that? But clearly, I imagine you agree with me. Clearly, something has shifted. Correct? Yeah, uh, uh, Manfred became commissioner in 2014. That's what uh, I think. Go. That's the big one. I mean, yeah, I'm sure Brick got into it. You got into it with her. But the, what does this mean for the the credible reporters they still have there? Uh, you know, Verducci, uh, Sherman, uh, John Morosi, who's uh, started out as a uh, globe intern when i first started the globe and uh um has one of the hardest working people i've ever been around in this business um what what happens to their reputation now because they let rosenthal go after 12 plus years he was there from the beginning from the first year uh and they let him go over criticism that it wasn't mild it was pretty harsh but it was fair it was in context yeah and reporting date 
yeah, reporting based and, uh, you know, ended up being true as well um, and accurate as everything played out. And uh, they let him go for that. Well, the implication there, whether intended or not, is that the guy, the reporters they still have there are in line, that they are towing the line to what MLB wants because uh, we haven't fired them. We haven't gotten rid of them or, or not picked up their contracts yet. And that's an unfair perception, but it's the one that uh, sort of manifests from this because of the way that Manfred and MLB handled the Rosenthal thing. Let's, um, let's go to week 18 in the NFL, which is coming up in a couple of days from us uh, taping this. Uh, ESPN has Saturday 4.30 and 8.15 games. Chargers and Raiders are the Sunday night football finale. I'm interested in this because, you know, this is what the NFL has always wanted. The, the owner is in the league office chat is this extra game. They, an extra game at the end of the year gives you the opportunity to set up an incredible television schedule. If there are games of meaning, there's probably not as many games of meaning this year as there will be in, in future years. But I'm really curious to see what the viewership is because it almost feels like a pre playoff game. And I'm particularly interested in that ESPN Saturday game. You know, Saturday is a weird TV day um, because depending on what the matchup is and depending on when something is airing, you could get amazing viewership. You could also really get dead viewership depending on the competition and stuff like that. So I'm really interested in those games. Um, and I'm just interested as a general rule in terms of like what week eighteen will do in terms of like aggregate and roll up numbers. Obviously, the NFL's this is what the NFL wants because it's going to increase your viewership totals for the year. You know, you can it just aggregate number of minutes that are watched in the NFL is expect is is going up massively because you're getting this whole additional week of games. So it'll be a good story for the NFL viewership wise, no matter what. But I am I am curious about like what what numbers we'll get this week. And I wonder if you are too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, it's like you said, this is what they wanted and it does allow them uh, in some to uh, claim even greater viewership by one seventeenth larger audience for sure than, than, than they had, uh, you know, in past years. So all that's already beneficial for the league. I'm actually really interested in the Sunday night uh, Chargers Raiders game, because that, that could be a, it has pretty high stakes that both teams have a chance to make the playoffs, but there's also this weird catch to it where if they end up tied, uh, they both get in. <laughs> so you you could end up with uh, both teams just uh, theoretically taking a knee and playing to a 0-0 tie, which would make <laughs> for some great Sunday night viewing, I'm sure. Uh, well, if it goes to overtime, it's really fascinating. Right? Yeah, I, 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 I imagine they'll play it on the level uh, as much as possible, but... Uh, um, yeah, that's that's a that's definitely a weird plot twist to that one for sure. Do we know what the yep. Saturday games are yet? Kansas City at Denver. Eh, I mean, Denver's done. Uh, I wonder if Kansas City will rest Mahomes or not. Uh, Dallas at Philly, which uh, that's the late game on ESPN, which will have some meaning. Because uh, Cowboys too. Is the Cowboys still the biggest draw in football? I think honestly, it's it's it really the you have to. You really do have to sort of go back to the generations of fans that that the Cowboys grew because of the um, 70s and 80s. And I think that just got passed down to children. And even if there's a little bit of a sort of receding of that, you were starting with such a large base that I still think that that number is is really significant and it plays out every year with the viewership. So... 
That's what I think it is. I mean, if your father and or grandfather, mother and or grandmother was a Cowboys fan and they're into the NFL, the likelihood is they did pass that down. So even if in the 2000s and 2010s, like you can get every game if you were willing to pay, I do think that like from that, you know, Dorset, Staubach era, and then Aikman. Um, it's it, yeah, and then Aikman. It, it's it stayed. That's my only guess because it's not. You know, I mean, if you were if if it was about like being a fan of the best team in the last twenty years, well, the Patriots would be the most popular team in football, and so yeah, yeah. and so yeah, yeah. The, the the highest rated game of the year is uh, Cowboys Raiders. Cowboys Raiders, yeah, exactly. Uh, up here where. We had people on the radio up here predicting that uh, Jermaine Wiggins, former Patriots tight end, uh, morning show host up here on WEI, uh, predicted 200 million <laughs> viewers for the Buccaneers Patriots game, which, you know, double a Super Bowl, probably not happening. But um, uh, the anticipation up here was that week, that uh, was a week four game uh, between the, the Pats and Bucks was going to blow everything else away this year. And then you go look, end of the year, um, Dallas and the Raiders uh, is uh... yeah. They'll, they're, again, like the 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 thing about like television, it's really not that hard to figure out. Like Cowboys, Packers, um, Steelers, the teams that sort of rate are the same that rate every year in the same way. Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan, Notre Dame. It's like there are national brands within football. Um, regional brands are obviously hugely popular much more popular than any other sport, but like there are national brands and um, there's a reason the Cowboys, I mean, someone like Austin Karp would have like Cowboys have been the most popular viewership team. It's like 15 years running. Might even be more. Yeah. Will the Patriots be that team in 15 years? No, but the, I think the Patriots have gone from a regional team to a national team. And that's a pretty, to me, that's pretty impressive in itself. Cause a lot of teams can't, a lot, a lot of teams can't do that. Yeah, when oh. I was growing up, they were blacked out most of the time. Totally, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. again, growing up in New York, you saw them when they played the Jets. But they really were not any kind of national team um, until... John Cricky and Beasley Reese. That yeah, was, uh, until, until uh, the Belichick <laughs> year. Did you see, by the way, that uh, Variety's Brian Steinberg reported that Nielsen told TV networks and other clients that um, they've been undercounting out-of-home audiences for national television program which means chad that amidst all this stuff and it's all these uh, uh sports viewership ratings sport that we're probably not really getting an accurate representation of how many people are watching sports right now how far back does that go just a look i don't know actually i just i'm sort of reading the headline yeah but it, it, that's sort of um it's just one thing if you're listening to this podcast we'll move off it quick that um generally speaking sports is sports is um is historically always undercounted. More people are watching these games than what gets reported. And so what's tricky, of course, about this is you don't know how many more are watching. And then, you know, if you're an ad buyer, it's tricky to figure out how much you are, how much you are paying for. But that's one thing about sports. And this is a reason why obviously sports continues to sort of essentially run, um, network right and and uh, and a place like espn it's still it's like the most important property that you can buy and that's the reason why all these um all these places pay tons of money for it because it's dvr proof it's live you can't you can't you can't watch it the next day no 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 it's really interesting to see how this has kind of evolved because um nielsen's been taking an absolute beating for uh undercounting um 
you know, ratings and uh, undercounted viewership during the, especially during the pandemic. And yeah. I know, uh, I think it was, was it NBC that called for a entirely different rating system? I think it did. Uh, I think it was a, a universal. Yes. And yeah. And I mean, so, you know, there's some pressure on them to, uh, to get this, to, to get this right. But I think it plays into the fact that we look at the NFL audiences, we say, it was an absolute joke a few years ago to for anyone to suggest that the NFL was in deep trouble and yeah, I mean, viewers uh, and yeah, just I mean, silliness. Uh, yeah. And they're actually better than we realized. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I would have people, um, sort of, you know, I'd sort of throw something out on Twitter that you know to to to, to that extent, like the NFL will be the most popular sport in 2030, 2040, 2050, and 2060. And I have a lot of people saying, you know, no, you know, medical people are going to eventually change the sport and the complexion. I mean, nothing has ever shown me that um, the NFL will not continue to be the most popular sport. It just, it, it's so rooted in the culture. I think some of it actually is an attraction of violence, certainly gambling, fantasy football, and, and tribalism. But it's just, it is the, there's one national sport really in the, in the United States and it's football and then, and then figure out everything else after that when you're thinking about viewership plays. Um, well, lastly, ratings are already massive anyway. I mean, it was 47 out of 50 shows this year, which is pretty Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. And uh, I was watching the, when, when Antonio Brown had his meltdown the other day, I was watching the hit he took from Vontaze Perfect that some people think, you know, uh, had a, had a significant effect on him. Um, just the absolute vicious hit. And they were celebrating that hit when it happened. And it wasn't that long ago. And you think about, uh, you know, the jacked up segments. Yeah. Where Tom Jackson used to do that. That stuff feels like it's from 50 years ago now. And we look at the ratings on, 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 uh, for football. The, there's high, they're, they're, they're massive, especially considering how, you know, viewership is spread out now. Um, and I think ultimately the, if they take the continue to take the violence out of the sport, it's not really going to affect the viewership at all. The, the, as long as the quarterbacks are marquee and the uh, you know the, the the game's a great experience on television, and uh, you know you're putting points on the scoreboard, I, I don't think NFL is going to be affected by the lack of hitting at all. It's a great television sport, sort of perfect. It's once a week. So it has meaning, and then lastly, in a very polarized world, it's one of the few things that brings Americans together. And I, I just, I, I don't see, I just, I don't see, I mean, nothing is forever, I guess. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen though. 300 years from now, I hope the planet exists, but like, it, I just, there's just like, there, it's just, if you think about it, it would just take so much Chad for like the sport to, to be reduced to, let's say like what boxing is or something like that. I mean, that, that, that's a 60, 70 year proposition if it even happens. And I just, I don't see it happening. Uh, and one of the big reasons it's happening is money. I just, it, there's too much money at stake for too many entities to not, um, continue to sort of figure this out. All right. The last one here, we'll end on this. I know we've talked about this before, but we're getting closer. The Olympics are within a month now, Chad, and man, uh, from Omicron variant, to China's human resource, human rights abuses, to potential Olympians testing positive and maybe not going, to the NHL players opting uh, not to go to China. This thing looks like a viewership disaster. Now, a viewership disaster can still be 13, 14 million 
viewers from NBC, but compared to what the Olympics used to be, you know, we used to be talking about 30 million, 28 million. There is absolutely, anecdotally, very little interest in this. Maybe it'll change by February 1st, but I I have never seen an Olympics with less interest in the run-up to the Olympics than the Beijing Olympics. Yep. All I ever hear is uh, they should shut it down. And I don't know how that translates to uh, the interest people are going to have when it's actually on their television, but um, I'm skeptical that, uh, you know, that, that it's going to feel like a big deal and it's going to feel like the Olympics usually do. And it's for the, you know, it's largely in part of the reasons you listed. I mean, it feels like the Olympics, the summer Olympics just ended and that they're kind of bunched together. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, the fact that NFL, uh, NHL players aren't allowed to go probably diminishes uh, that quite a bit. Uh, you know, some of the players were ticked off. You know, Brad Marchand. I saw really, that. It was a really, really it was an interesting point by him. I'm glad he made yeah, it. Leave it up to us. But, uh, you know, I think he's probably wrong on that. I think the decision is probably best. The decision was made for them. But um, all in all, yeah, it's going to add up uh, uh, to an experience, especially in the beginning, before any new names uh, arise out of this and become, you know, a couple, few athletes always become um instantaneous stars uh during the olympics but um until that happens the i think the interest going into it is going to be at a probably an all-time low for our lifetimes yeah i i agree with you um i would be stunned otherwise if it doesn't set record lows all right chad finn is the uh sports media writer and columnist for the boston globe check out his work there he's gonna have a ken rosenthal column by the time you listen to this chad thank you uh Thanks for popping on today in short, short notice, but I, I, I do appreciate that. And, uh, you know, we'll talk in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Bills and Patriots perhaps playing in the playoffs. That could be really good. Yeah, I want a third one. It's such a great matchup yeah. and they hate each other. Yeah, I, 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 selfishly, I want it in Buffalo as opposed to New England. I, I just yeah, feel like feel like if that game is in New England, the Patriots are winning that game. The Buffalo game it feels a little more of a toss-up to me. Yeah, I think the Jets will probably uh, help you out there this weekend. <laughs> you never know with yeah. that. You never know with that franchise. It's a weird. That's when you, true. When Jet fans want them to lose for a better pick, <laughs> Jets usually win forty to three. So that's we'll, a good point. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see what happens. All right, Chad. Thank you. Appreciate it. Zach Wilson breakthrough game coming. Good talking, <laughs> <Okay>. Eric. <laughs> thank you, Chad. See you guys. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Britt Giroli and Chad Finn for their time and their insight. If you like uh, these kind of conversations, head to the Richard Deitch, um, Sports Media Richard Deitch homepage, archive page, and leave us a uh, leave us a nice note and a five-star review. That stuff really helps if you like this stuff. Prior to this podcast, we had a conversation on John Madden's legacy with Sunday Night Football producer Fred Gadelli. Fred Gadelli was John Madden's last producer. People seem to really like that. Did a podcast on the nexus of sports and COVID with Donovan Bennett, Amal Delich, and Bruce Arthur, and uh, particularly how the uh, how COVID um, interrelating with sports is covered differently in Canada than in the United States. Before that, Ryan Clark of ESPN on how he built his broadcasting career. You could head back to all the different uh, things we've done and check out something. Hopefully, something you uh, you'll find that you like. My thanks, as always, to Patrick Antonetti. My thanks to everybody at Cadiz 13 for their help. Happy New Year. Hoping 2022 is a much better year for the planet and a much healthier year for the planet as well. 
I want to thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. And always appreciate uh, hearing from people who say they're enjoying these conversations. Thanks again for listening to the Sports Media Podcast.